Well, good evening. Turn, if you would, tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're finding your place there, I just want to give you a quick update on a couple of things. I'd like to let you know that from what we can tell, Youth Conference is going very well for our teenagers, and I trust that it's going well for other churches. But if you've been praying for the teenagers, I would ask you to continue praying for them, that the Lord would speak to their hearts and that some decisions could be made. Uh, Susie and I were glad to get to visit with the girls this afternoon a little bit before church and uh, get to re- get a report from them. So uh, just continue to pray for them. And then also, I know some of you are aware of this because I did post this on uh, the church's Facebook page, but I just want to let you know that yesterday's time out at the Meredith House was a tremendous, tremendous blessing. Uh, I, I get, you know, just to be honest and transparent, you know how Satan likes to put doubts in your mind, you know, sometimes and, and just make you question what it is you're doing. So uh, yesterday morning I woke up and I knew it was the day to go out there. And it was kind of like Satan said, what makes you think they're going to want to sing with you? And, you know, it's just like, well, I don't know. I just thought it sounded good and, and, you know, it just, it worked. And so I was wrestling with the thoughts in my mind. And even on the way out there, I just thought, Lord, I want this to be a blessing. But man, I just, I don't know. I just felt uneasy about it. And we walked in. And uh, long story short, I think 16 residents showed up, and they only housed 28, so that's a good percentage, obviously. But uh, as best they could sing, they followed along and they sang, and, and it was just, it was neat. It was a blessing to see some people who, who you could tell they're not real conversant. Uh, they tried their best to sing along. Uh, one lady that Susie knows, that lady no longer even knows her name and yet she could sit there and sing the hymns as we were playing. And, and, and you know, it comes back to you. And, and it was just a blessing. So I left, I, I believe, far more blessed than any of them could have been. We had Brother Ray and Tams there, and Donna showed up. And uh, then Glenn and Gail from Chief Plastic, they showed up, and they were a part of it. So I'm just going to put a plug in right now, okay? Not this coming Tuesday, but 13 days from now, we'll be out there again at 11 o'clock. Uh, we sang we sang yesterday for 45 minutes, and uh, if you can work that into your schedule at all, I would just encourage you to do so because it's an encouragement to them, and I promise you it'll be an encouragement to you. Okay, and and I know some of you it's just absolutely impossible. I get that. I'm not, I'm not. Yes, sir, brother Ray. All right. So it was a blessing to the columns. All right. So I'm glad to hear that. Uh, apparently Donna wasn't blessed. She's remaining silent, but. Uh, uh, anyways, so uh, she's not arguing either, so apparently she was not blessed by it at all. You don't have to show up in 13 days, okay? You don't have to unless you want to. But uh, anyways, uh, just want to pass it along to you. I think it was a blessing. I know it was a blessing to some of them, and uh, just good. So that in mind, we've got Second Corinthians chapter 4. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, we are grateful for this day. We're thankful, Lord. For all that you do for us, thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. I pray that you would bless this time together, that you would use it, Lord, to be a help to us in our walk with you and our testimony as we uh, live in this sin-filled world that we're a part of. God, I pray that you'd give me the words to speak tonight. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, last week, you may remember, we began looking at verses 1 through 5, and we watched, or 1 through 6, rather, and we watched as... Paul eventually got back to this point that in the ministry or in the area of service that God had given him, 
he had come to this conclusion that quitting was not an option. It didn't matter what the discouragement was. It didn't matter what the difficulties or what the obstacles may be. Paul had reached a place in his spiritual life where he just understood that you cannot quit in your service of the Lord. And so last week, the application was fairly obvious and it was fairly simple. And that is this, is that every one of us have been given an area of service for the work of the Lord. It doesn't matter what the area of the service is. We've all been given a ministry. We've all been given a place to serve. And in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of obstacles, in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of trying times, we have got to be reminded that in our service, quitting can never be an option. We can't allow ourselves to get to a place where we decide to let somebody else do the ministry, let somebody else pull that slack that that we're letting go. Uh, We have got to be determined to stay in the work of the Lord, whatever it looks like, until he transitions us into another form of ministry. But until the day we die, we can have some kind of ministry. It's just that simple. We can have some kind of ministry, some area of service, where we continue to work for the cause of Christ and for the kingdom of God. So that's what we talked about last week. Tonight we're going to move on and we're going to look at a couple of things that we looked at last week because of how it flows into tonight's message. But tonight I want to talk about something that I know I have talked about in the past. I'm not going to spend a lot of time rehashing this. I just want us to think about this so that we can make our way into the application in a few moments. But I want us to think tonight about this truth that every week we are bombarded by marketers in relation to advertising, people trying to get our attention as it relates to their product. You're very aware of that, are you not? That over and over and over again, you are going to be bombarded with different products, different items that will supposedly make your life better. And I've noticed this, and you've noticed this, I'm sure if you've paid any attention, that whenever marketers put their advertising together, they always show us the best possible results. It does not matter how atypical those results may be, they are going to show you the most impressive results they can possibly present to you. I was trying to think of a way that I could illustrate this to make sure I didn't offend anyone. So, so this is the avenue in which I'm going to use because I've never heard anybody talking about this around here. But how many of us have ever seen advertisements for whitening strips for your teeth? You ever seen those? Of course we have. Have you ever noticed the before picture? These must be people who have never seen a toothbrush in their life, right? I mean, the before picture, it's just yellow and brown and all different shades and and some of us look at those teeth and go man is that what i really look like i don't know but anyways i'm just saying they show you one of the worst possible scenarios in the beginning and then after one application or maybe just after a few applications here is the after picture and what does it look like it looks like this incredible bright white set of teeth looking at you Now, why do they show you the most impressive results they could possibly manufacture? Because here's what they know. If they show us average, run-of-the-mill results, it will not pique our interest. 
If they don't show us something drastic, if they don't show us something serious, if they don't show us some amazing result, you and I will go ho-hum through the advertisement and we will never consider for a moment being interested in their product. So they always have to show us the most impressive result they can find in hopes that you and I will be attracted to what it is they're producing or what they're promoting. Now we'll get back to that principle in a couple of moments, but tonight I want to remind us of what Paul is dealing with right now. And I know that this is review. I know that I've mentioned this several times throughout the weeks, but I want us to think about this. What is the Apostle Paul dealing with? Well, he is dealing with an attack on the integrity of his ministry. Are we hearing this? He is dealing with an attack on the integrity of his ministry. People are saying that he's not honest, that he's not forthright in his speaking, that he says what's convenient over and over again. We have heard these accusations that have come against him, and the Apostle Paul has spent a good amount of time trying to defend himself. And when you think about the context of what's going on in Paul's life, then verse number 2, which we did not look at last week, Verse number two makes even more sense to you and I. He says, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. He says, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation or declaration of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, in the sight of God. And so what is Paul saying? What, what is he declaring here? He is simply saying this, listen, all dishonesty, all craftiness, any mishandling of the word of God, we have renounced that and we have rejected that. And that is not a part of who we are. That is not a part of the ministry that we engage in. So if you keep that in mind, you look toward the middle of the verse of chapter, of verse number four, you look in the middle of verse number four and notice what Paul speaks of, he speaks of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God. And so we see there that Paul equates Christ with God. Okay? This is a very important doctrinal truth, and this is not a doctrinal message, but this is an important doctrinal truth. He says that Christ, who is the image of God, so essentially what Paul is saying is this, is they are the same. If you see Christ, you have seen God. So as you keep that in mind, I want us to focus on some of the wording of verse number four here. I want us to first give attention to the word gospel gospel. I think most of us tonight, if we were to be asked, what is the gospel or what does the gospel mean? I think many of us would say something like this. Well, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. Have we ever heard somebody refer to the gospel as the good news of Jesus Christ? Somebody may say something like this. Well, the gospel of Christ is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Have we ever heard somebody say something to that effect, that, that the gospel could be defined as the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Now, as simple as that is and as accurate as that is, here is what we know is that to just define the gospel as the good news or to define it as the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ, that is kind of the points or the highlights 
but it doesn't really have all the meat on the bones that has to be dealt with if giving the gospel to someone else. Meaning, if I were to go up to someone and witness to them and say, I'd like to share the gospel with you, and they said, okay, I'll give you permission to share the gospel with me, you could not just say, okay, well, it's the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that be sufficient. There has to be some context, or there, again, there has to be some meat put on that to make sense of the points or the highlights that we would share. See, if we were to go to someone and say the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, somebody might appropriately or, or rightfully be able to ask this question, why did Christ have to die? You're telling me that the gospel involves the death of Jesus Christ. Well, why did Christ have to die? Well, we know the answer to that, right? Because of the sinful nature and the sinful actions of man. Because of our sin, because of our shortcomings, because of our inability to live a righteous, holy, perfect life, then, then that is what caused Christ to have to come and die on the cross for our sins. So the gospel, when we speak of the death, well, we have to understand why the death of Christ even had to take place. Something else that has to be understood in the presentation of the gospel to some extent is this, is the deity of Christ because only Christ was, the, only Christ was sufficient to meet the demands of our sin. Now, I'm not saying that a lost person has to understand every doctrinal aspect, but at some point they have to understand the necessity of Christ in the gospel. Well, then the resurrection, I mean, come on, that's somewhat important, isn't it? I mean, without the resurrection, Paul explains thoroughly in 1 Corinthians that without the resurrection, we have no hope whatsoever, and we are of all men most miserable. And if there's no resurrection of Christ, then there's no resurrection of the dead. And so to just say, well, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection, friends, there is so much more to it than that. Again, it's a good summary of it. But in order to really understand the gospel, man has to understand their sinfulness. They have to understand the holiness and the righteousness and the perfection of Christ. They have to understand the atonement of, to some degree. And they have to understand that what separates our faith from all other faiths is the resurrection of our Savior. He is alive. So if you think about all that, it makes sense, doesn't it, that before Paul spoke of the gospel of Christ... He called it the glorious gospel of Christ. Say, so, well, why is that important? Well, just think about what the word glorious means just very quickly. It means it's magnificent. Think about the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a magnificent story, isn't it? To think that Christ would come to this earth and die on the cross for sinful man, that is a magnificent story. To think that he laid in the grave three days and three days later he arose victorious over death, friends, that is a magnificent story. But not only is it magnificent, the word glorious also means this, to be overwhelming. The story of the gospel of Christ should be overwhelming to you and I. Christ did that for me personally. Christ did that for you personally. That should overwhelm us 
that Christ loved the world so much that he was willing to give his life for us. So again, it, it makes sense that Paul writes of the glorious gospel of Christ, but as exciting as that is, there's a context to verse number 4. Or there's a context to that statement in verse number 4. See, speaking of the gospel that Paul says he has declared and that he is not going to faint and he is not going to quit, notice what he speaks of in the first part of verse number 4 by way of the, by way of the adversity or by way of the obstacles that stand in front of him to some extent. He says, "...in whom the God of this world..." In whom the God of this world. I wonder who he's talking about there. Well, he's obviously referencing Satan, right? So he says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. What is Paul declaring and what is Paul reminding the believers of Corinth of? He is reminding them of this, that there is a reason why people are lost, why people are unsaved. And he says it is rooted in this truth that the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Satan is busy striving to blind or put a veil over the spiritual eyes of the minds of individuals. Think about this for just a moment. When a person is spiritually blind, here is what they may very well argue. They may very well argue the existence of God. Think about this. No person can deny the existence of God and still come to Christ for salvation. So when someone denies the existence of God, you know why they have denied the existence of God? Because the God of this world has blinded their mind to the reality of God's existence. It only makes sense for you and I, for all people, to believe in some degree or in some way to believe in a higher power that is found in tribes of people who have never been reached by anyone. They still have an understanding and they still have a recognition that there must be some God or some higher being out there. And so if you and I, we come into contact with someone and they would suggest that they are an atheist, that they don't believe in God, friends, that is because Satan has blinded their minds. Now, I promise you we're going somewhere with all this, so just stay with me. Because of the work of Satan, you may find someone who holds to this position, that the sinfulness of man really isn't that sinful. You know people like this, I'm sure. Yeah, they may tell a lie every once in a while. They may be rude every once in a while. Yeah, they may cheat every once in a while. They may say some things every once in a while that they don't need to say or that they shouldn't say. But but really, in the end, I'm a pretty good guy. In the end, I'm a pretty good person. 
And so as a result of what Satan has done by way of blinding their minds, they don't really see the sinfulness of their sin. Comparatively speaking to all those other people, we're still good people. I'm not that bad of a person, so therefore I'm fine. Because of the work of Satan, a person may say something like this. The story of Christ is just a fairy tale. Christ isn't really the Son of God. Christ didn't really come and live this sinless, perfect life. And, and the fact that Christ died, it wasn't because he was dying for the sins of mankind. He was just a martyr for what it was he believed in. Have you ever heard people say things like that? that? That it wasn't really for the atonement of sin. It wasn't really for the justification of men. That's not why Christ came. Christ came and he was a good man, but that's all he was. Is he was just a man. Well, how do people come to that conclusion? Because Satan hath blinded the minds of those who are lost. It doesn't matter how glorious the gospel is. It doesn't matter how magnificent and overwhelming the gospel is. Satan has blinded their minds to the truth of God's word. Because of the work of Satan, this is becoming so much more popular. That it doesn't really matter what you believe. So long as you're sincere, so long as you're genuine... We'll all get there eventually. You ever visited with anyone like that? Just a couple of weeks ago, I was visiting with someone. I let him know that I was with Grace Baptist Church, and, and I asked him, I said, do you attend anywhere? And he immediately responded, yes, I'm devout Catholic, but we're all okay because we're all pretty much doing the same thing anyway, so I'm good. Well, basically what we're saying is, is it doesn't matter what road we take, what route we choose, so long as we serve something that will get us to where we want to go. Friends, why do people believe that? Because Satan hath blinded the minds of the lost. Scripture's fairly clear, is it not? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We don't have to, we don't have to get obnoxious with that truth, but that is the truth. Why do people not believe that? Because Satan hath blinded their minds. So that being the case, think about this. Prior to our salvation, how many of us to some extent resembled in our thought process what the lost today resemble? So I don't know what you're talking about. Well, just, just think about this. How many of us in our lives prior to salvation, how many of us questioned whether or not God was real and whether or not God existed? You may say, well, I never questioned that at all, okay? How many of us ever questioned or doubted the sinfulness of our sin? You know, prior to salvation, it's possible that some of you thought, well, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good lady, and, and I don't really need that. And, and you know, that whole story of Christ, I'm not saying you had this opinion. I'm just saying some of us could have had this opinion that, that, that the death of Christ wasn't really necessary for you because you were a good enough person to make it to wherever it is you thought you were going to go because you were a good person and not a bad person. I'm just saying... 
some of us, and I'm going somewhere with this, some of us struggled with the same thoughts because prior to salvation, our eyes were blinded by the God of this world. So it may not have been the exact same reasoning. It may not have been the exact same logic. But there was still that blindness, spiritually speaking, because Satan had covered the eyes of your spiritual mind and you were unable to grasp all this. But you may sit here and say, well, Brother Kyle, I was never really in that position. You know, I was kind of like you. I was raised in a Christian home. I understand. Listen, coming from a Christian home, I never doubted the existence of God. I never doubted the sinfulness of man. I never doubted the story of Christ dying on the cross and rising from the dead. I never doubted the reality of eternity. But you know what was happening before my salvation? Satan was fighting me to get me to doubt and question every bit of that. I can speak that with authority because I was there. I knew all of it. I, I understood all of it. And if asked about it, I would have given all the correct answers. But listen, even in the mind of a 10 and 11 and 12-year-old, there was a spiritual battle that was raging where Satan was trying to blind me to the truth. And it wasn't until I got saved that that issue or those issues were settled in my spiritual life. So here's Paul, writing of the glorious gospel of Christ. And in light of that, people believe some pretty amazing, strange, and odd things. Because they have been blinded by the God of this world. So you look in verse number 5 and he says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. So he says that what I dealt with last week, we don't preach ourselves, we're preaching Christ Jesus. So notice in verse number 6 what he says. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face or in the person as discussed last week, in the face of Jesus Christ. I want us to think about this for just a moment, and this helps us understand why this is a glorious, magnificent, overwhelming gospel. Whether you were a child just struggling with different questions you may have had because Satan was putting those questions in your mind, or whether you were an adult who believed you were a good person, not really in need of the Savior, regardless of where we were at in this spectrum of beliefs and thoughts, you know how you and I got saved? You know how you and I were brought into the kingdom of God? You know how that happened? Paul explains it clearly in verse number 6. Because God shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So if you were a doubter, if you were a skeptic, if you were a Gnostic, if you were an unbeliever of any other description, if you were the one who was the, the, the if you were the person who questioned all these things, the reason that that got 
solidified and clarified in our lives is because of what God did for us. I'll say it again. It was nothing that we chose to do. It was God who worked in our hearts. And the only thing at that point that we could do was either respond in obedience or respond in disobedience but God initiated the entire transaction. So here's Paul defending his ministry. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. That's not who we are. But Paul says there are some people who have rejected the glorious gospel. Because their eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. But he says, friends, that's not us. Because God, who commanded the light to shine, also gave illumination to our hearts, our inner man, that gave us the light of knowledge or understanding of who God is. So if you're here tonight and you're saved, how did you get saved? Well, I got saved because I called upon Christ to save me. Right. But how did that happen? Because God spoke to your heart in the first place. That's how we got saved. And that is a glorious, magnificent, overwhelming truth. So notice what he says in verse number 7. But we have this treasure. We have this treasure. What is a treasure talking about? I think usually we think of a treasure as being something of great value and great worth, right? I mean, very seldom do people look for hidden treasure that has no value associated with it. There's something about a treasure that conjures up in the mind this, this item of great worth or of great value, correct? It does for some of us. So if you notice what Paul said, he said, of this treasure, we have it. What does it mean to have something? It means to possess something. So of this treasure, this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Well, what is an earthen vessel? Well, in and of itself, it's nothing too impressive. It would have been some kind of pot made out of dirt or clay or something to that effect. But this earthen vessel here that Paul is talking about, it's a reference to who we are as individuals because in and of ourselves, we're not that impressive. And we were kind of brought forth from the dirt of the ground, were we not? So of this glorious gospel that Paul speaks of and identifies as a treasure in verse number 7, he says we possess it in what? This earthen vessel or this body that we've been given. All Paul is saying is this, is in the physical bodies that you and I have, we are the possessors of, of salvation, that glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. For lack of better words, I would say it like this tonight. We've got salvation in us if we're saved. 
I understand that's not good theology, but it's a practical way to look at this. Because of my belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, because God illuminated my heart to have an understanding of who God is through the person of Christ, I now have salvation in me in this body that I inhabit right now. So notice what he says next in verse number 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We have in our bodies this treasure, which is the glorious gospel, that the excellency of the power, of the strength, of the might may be of God and not of us. Whenever Paul speaks of the excellency of the power, what is he talking about? He is talking about the supremacy or the preeminence of the power of God. Are we following this? As a result of my salvation, as a result of your salvation, here is what we've got. We've got the supremacy of God's power in us. That the excellency of the power may be of God or may be of him or through him or by him and not of us. Now, I understand the wording of that may be a little confusing for some of us. It was certainly confusing for myself. But I want to kind of describe this or explain this in ways that you and I can relate to and understand. From what I can tell, from what I've read, this seems to be the, the common understanding, and it makes perfect sense that as a result of what God has done in our lives through salvation, what people ought to be able to see when they see us is not us, but the power of God that lives within us through salvation, the treasure that we possess. Think about it. When somebody sees you, when somebody sees me, what they ought to be able to see is this. The supremacy, the superiority of the power of God working in our lives and not us. See, this kind of goes back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that as a result of our salvation, there should be radical, thorough change in our personal lives. As a result of this glorious gospel that has been given to me by God, when people see me, what they ought to see is the magnificent excellent power of God working in my life. So think about it. Prior to salvation, we were the before picture, right? Yellow and brown and stained and dirty and dingy and all these other things, right? 
But now we've been saved. And as a result of our salvation, I understand it won't come overnight, but you know what people ought to be able to see as a result of our salvation? This amazing work that's been done in our lives. It ought to be that if somebody knew us prior to salvation and they know us now, that they would say, that's not even the same person. That is a completely different person than what they once were. That's what the gospel should do to us. They should look at us as individuals. They should look at our marriages. They should look at our families. There is not any area where they would be able to look at us where they should not be able to say, what a drastic change that has taken place in their life. Did I say that right? I want to make sure because we're just kind of staring at it. Just, as a result of our salvation, there should not be an area where people look at us and they can't see a drastic change. It's what they should see is the power of God and not us anymore. But here's what I've wondered. Just thought about it, just wondered about it, questioned this before. I wonder sometimes how often the before and after pictures aren't really that different. Because that does happen sometimes, does it not? You look at a person's spiritual life prior to salvation, and you look at the person's spiritual life after suggested or professed salvation, and so there's not much difference there. They still talk the way they used to talk. They've still got the same habits they used to have. They, they've still got the same priorities they used to have. It's not much of a difference. Look at the family, and the family's not that much different. It's certainly not superior over most families. You, you just look at so many things, and, and, and there's a lot of people, I'm not saying in our church, but there are a lot of people who identify themselves as Christians, and if you looked at the before and after picture, you wouldn't see that much of a difference. The power of God isn't really manifest in their lives in the way that it ought. And I couldn't help but think this thought in relation to all this. When the power of God is not really manifest and seen in a person's life, how interesting should it look to the lost person looking on? It really shouldn't look that interesting, right? I mean, if you and I wouldn't get excited about whitening strips that don't whiten teeth, why would we expect people to get excited about a gospel if it doesn't really change the person who suggests to be the recipient of it? I'm just saying the way that many professed Christians market Christianity with their lifestyle evangelism, because that's what most people have resorted to these days, is lifestyle evangelism. I'm just saying for a lot of people, it's not that interesting anymore. Because there's not much of a difference between that person who claims to be saved and the one looking on who makes no profession of faith. I'm just trying to remind us tonight that we are the recipients of the glorious gospel of Christ. It is magnificent, it is overwhelming, 
And it is the gift of God. It is not anything that we did. And as a result, you know what ought to be obvious? That we have come into contact with the power of God. That transforming power of God. That we are no longer the person that we once were. I was an old creature, but I was born again and I was made new. And behold, all things have been made new. It really ought to be that there is an obvious change in our lives by the power of God. And I'm just asking you tonight, if your life, if my life was the best presentation of what God can do for an individual, how much interest would that peak in the heart and mind of someone else? I'm not saying it's going to create this this crazy rush of of people wanting to be followers. I'm fully aware of that. I'm just asking, what would people see in us that could only be ascribed to the power of God that might pique any interest in them at all to have what we've got? Something to think about. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I do pray that you would be with us tonight, that you would help us to consider how glorious the gospel is. I pray that you'd help us to be reminded how blessed we are to have that if we are saved. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to remember tonight that our lives ought to show the power of you in our lives. What you've done in our personal lives, in our families, and in everything that we're a part of. And Lord, if things are not what they should be, that you'd help us to make those changes. Pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.